Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, starting at verse 9. I, I was noted that it is a little warm in here this morning. We are still on, um, well, January just ended a couple of days ago, so... I didn't get the furnaces turned over yet, because I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm waiting. I'm going to hold out. I think we got snow coming yet. <laughs> Repent. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, starting at verse 9, says this. I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. You can be seated this morning. I want to talk to you about a topic. Be broken or be broken. I'm going to talk about brokenness and repentance this morning. Now in past days, in the old times, and what culture has told you is, boy, that's a bummer of a topic. Guests in the house this morning are going, oh boy, here we go. But I'm going to tell you today that I'm going to share something with you. I'm going to give you a secret, a very powerful secret how to be victorious over the enemy through repentance. Probably something you have not necessarily heard before. Maybe you have, but I'm not going to stand up here in a sandwich board and walk back and forth and go, repent, and you shall be saved. Remember Charlton Heston in The Greatest Story Ever Told? Repent, and you shall be saved. He said it over again. But I want to talk about repentance. I want to talk about brokenness. Coming out of the Easter message, we learned all the facets of what the Easter message meant, why Christ died on the cross, why he was buried, why he was resurrected. And we found a very important part of that message. His death on the cross, and I'll talk a little bit about that going forward, represented our repentance. It was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He embodied repentance. The famous pastor and author A.W. Tozer said, it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Only through the soil of brokenness will the greatest fruit for Jesus Christ is produced. We've got to learn to be broken or we will be broken. I don't know about you folks, but I would so much rather go to my knees on my own will than to be brought to my knees by this world, or even worse yet, someday stand before the Lord and be brought to my knees forcibly. So I want to talk to you about the power that there is in brokenness and repentance. We got to get back to that old-fashioned thing, right? We got to get back to what Pentecost really brought to us. Sometimes we zip through that scripture in Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of, and you shall, right? Well, that R word up there at the front is critically important, but it's not a one-time event. Just like receiving and being filled with the Holy Ghost and walking in the Spirit is not a one-time event. 
But if we learn to truly live in brokenness, live in repentance, you're going to be a very, very powerful saint for God. And you're going to make it. If we do not live and we do not learn how to live a life of brokenness and repentance, could be trouble. Psalm chapter 51 and 17 says that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. God loves our tears. He loves our brokenness. And you think to yourself, well, man, that doesn't sound like a very exciting way to live. I mean, you, everybody's seen the movies. I talked about the guy in the sandwich board walking back and forth down the street. Just repent or you'll die. Repent in the world, you know. The world's going to end. Repent. You remember the guy downtown Milwaukee had, the, had that crazy black Cadillac and scriptures painted all over it and he had a big, big microphone on top and he'd drive around and he had the recording going over and over again. Repent, you sinners. Repent, you sinners. The world is going to end. The return of God draweth nigh. You know, and he had that whole thing going. Well, that's an image that people get. This is an old time serious topic. We have images of the old preachers in the past shouting down the congregations. Repent, you sinners. Repent, you sinners. Repent. Well, of course. Of course it's important. Yes, we're sinners. We, we have to repent. We got to make it a lifestyle change, not just that one-time event. It's not a fun sermon, typically. That's why I said at the beginning, when I said, I'm going to preach on repentance today, sometimes you get a... People start opening their phones and reading the bulletin for the fourth time. But we have to know what it is. We have to really truly understand what it is and not just that it's this, I'm not asking you to walk around with your head hung low and down and depressed. I'm not saying put on your sackcloth and throw your ashes on, start beating yourself with a handful of reeds. That's not the life of repentance that God intended for us. That's what culture has told you that a life of repentance is. They mock repentance. They mock preachers that preach things like that. And so culture has sort of kind of given us this idea that Living a life of repentance is some terrible thing where we sit in a stone room with no lights on and straw on the floor and we gruel. And God is not calling us to be monks. God is calling us to be powerful warriors. Victory is what God is calling us to. Praise the Lord. That's not what we're meant for. And I, I, I just want to say this this morning. I hate the devil. I hate what the devil does to you, and I hate what he does to me, what he does to my family and your family. And every chance I get and everything that I can share with you, everything that I've learned over the years and everything that God gives me that tells me a way that I can help you beat on the devil and stomp on the devil, I want to share it with you. I want to enrich my family and my friends, my fellow Christians with victory. I want you to walk out of here today and understanding what a powerful tool that repentance is and the secret that I'm going to share with you at the end of this message. Am I up here telling you that I'm perfect and I'm without sin, that I live this great and glorious life? No, absolutely not. But what I have learned from great men that I've mentored under, and ladies that I've mentored under, is to try my best to live a life, a repentant life, a victorious life. Most of you that know me know that, generally speaking, I walk around, I'm pretty, pretty much full of smiles. I'm a happy guy, and I'm up going. I have a positive outlook on life. I enjoy ministering with people, enjoy talking to people, getting to know people, because I don't walk around with a 1,000-pound weight on my shoulders going, oh, I'm a sinner, I'm terrible. That guy pulled out in front of me on the freeway, and I yelled at him, and now I'm going to hell. 
Nope. I've learned how to use this weapon to stomp on the devil's head. And I'm going to share that with you today. Proverbs warns us of the true meaning of repentance and how we have to live it. Proverbs in chapter 28, starting at verse 13, says this. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsake them shall have mercy. Happy is the man that feareth alway, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. You need to understand that there is a big, big difference between true repentance and living a life of repentance and regret. It's a very, very key thing. If you don't get anything out of what I say today, get this part. There's a big difference between true repentance and just regret. Let me show you some examples. Regret is short-lived and does not bring about real change in who and what you are. Repentance is a heart change. It results in a change of behavior. In other words, you can't just regret that you have a problem yelling at people on the freeway or shouting out a cuss word once in a while and then go, oh, I shouldn't have done that. It's terrible. I feel bad. And then tomorrow morning, get back in the car and do the same thing. Well, I can't help it, Brother Cora. I just, I'm challenged with this. I, you know, it's, a, it's a hard thing for me. I didn't say it was an instantaneous thing. But if it's always in your mind to do better and to improve... Now, if you don't mind today, I'm going to use a couple of examples of sin and things that are challenged with us so I don't make anybody uncomfortable. I'm going to talk about two things, lying and cussing. How's that? Okay? Just two examples. That way nobody can say, he's talking about me. Regret is hating the consequence of the sin that you have. You feel guilty. You shouted a cuss word out at the person, and you feel guilt. So you regret it. That's, that's a regret thing. You're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Are you really, really, really in a state of repentance in that. Repentance in that case is hating the sin itself. I hate that there is something inside me, this flesh crud that I'm coated in, has led me to a habit of yelling out in cuss words or telling lies to people. I hate that. I hate that sin, the sin of lying. I don't want it to be me anymore. That's a difference. Regret is excusing or justifying or blaming the sin. Well, she's the one who pulled out in front of me. I, what, you know, what am I supposed to do? But true repentance is full admittance. You have to own it. You know what? I have a serious problem where I am selfishly deciding not to let go of cussing or lying. Stand before God and say, God, this is my problem. This is my issue, and I hate it, and I want it out of my life. That's a big difference. Regret is self-focused. Repentance is God-focused. And the other person-focused. If you're trying to be a witness to people and all of a sudden you rip off a whole shot of cuss words in front of your coworker, you've now destroyed your testimony. You shouldn't have regret. Ah, I shouldn't have done that. Kind of makes me feel bad. You should feel unbelievable repentance and remorse for what you just did to that person. You may be the only God that person ever sees. Holiness is the way that people see God through us. Telling a whole bunch of lies in front of people that you're trying to witness to and they know you're lying. You've destroyed your testimony. That's what you should grieve. That's what Paul was talking about in Corinthians. Grieve in your heart that I've just destroyed my testimony with somebody. I've shown a picture of God that's a complete lie. You see? 
Regret is self-effort. I'm going to try to do better. I'll fix this somehow. I'll, I'll get in the habit of grinding my teeth or, or saying instead of a cuss word. Sometimes we do replacement words for cuss words. They're pretty close. Probably not the best either. But real repentance in that regard is depending on God. God, change this in me. Bring it to my mind. Help me to see the ugliness and the filth of that sin that's on me so that I don't even, it doesn't even start to come to my tongue. That's repentance. You see the difference? Regret is, the, is, is lazy and it's an easy way out. Repentance is the willingness to pay the cost to make it right. So you can say that cuss word or tell a lie in front of your coworker and regret it. Maybe talk to the Lord at the altar on Sunday. Ah, I shouldn't have done that. Or you can go to that person and say, listen, I'm a Christian. I represent Jesus Christ. And I did a terrible thing. I allowed anger and my flesh to get a hold of me. And I ripped off a bunch of cuss words in front of you. And I am very, very sorry about that. I, I can't tell you enough that that is not really who I am. I made a terrible mistake. And I hope you can forgive me, but I want to let you know that I'm talking to Jesus and I'm, I got to get that out of my life. Please forgive me. That's repentance. You can be angry in regret at the mess or the problem that you caused. Okay. Or you can just hate that you offended God when you did what you did. In other words, you can regret that you wrecked the relationship with the with the person you work with, or you can just hate that you hurt God. Because when you ripped off that course of lies, you told that totally fictitious story, or you lied your way out of something you did wrong, you hurt God. That's what you should really hate. Not that you embarrassed yourself. So what? Your pride is hurt. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You can have fear of the consequences or that other people know that you're doing a sin. That's regret. Right? It's meaningless. Again, you have to be, the fear you should have is that you're sinning against God. That you're endangering your soul. And that you're hurting your Savior. He died on the cross for us. Endured unimaginable pain and anguish. To eradicate and alleviate you from that sin. You should hate that you've now re-crucified him again and again and again with that sin. Now, am I telling you we, we're not going to do that? Obviously, we're made of flesh. We're going to make mistakes and we're going to sin. What I'm telling you about is how to make it right, how to live a real life of repentance, not just regret. In regret, we have vague resolutions. We resolve, well, I'll do better next time. When that person pulls out in front of me or that, that coworker makes me angry, I'm going to bite my tongue. I'm going to grind my teeth. I'll, I'll figure out a way to get that aggression out. That's just regret. That's not repentance. Repentance requires specific, concrete actions. Specific things that you know that you're going to do when the devil tempts you to let that thing fly. To control your tongue, control the lying, control the cussing, whatever it may be. Regret ends up in despair. We get depressed we get down because it's not a resolution. It's a band-aid. 
Regret is simply just, this is who I am and I'm dealing with it. And we slap a Band-Aid on it and we move on. There's no freedom and there's no release from that. Okay? Now I realize I'm in the real heavy part of this message. Okay? It gets better. All right? So stay with me. Repentance gives you hope. We have a hope of a Savior who's given us the ability because of his sacrifice to stand before him and truly repent of who we are and what we're doing and the thing that we're challenged with. And I promise you, I promise you, if you learn to do this, he'll give you victory. All right, so now let's talk about the power part, okay? And I mentioned at the cross, we know that Christ's sacrifice represented that repentance. He was literally the embodiment of the sacrifice that was brought to the, to the tabernacle and handed over to the priest, and they sacrificed the animal on the altar, shed the blood, etc. He was an exact embodiment of what happened in the tabernacle and in the temple, right? So, okay, so if we know that his death on the cross represented repentance, do you know and understand, do you see the power that exists in that, what was handed off to us, what we inherited from the cross, the power that's there? Think about what happened. In Matthew 27, 52, and I'm not going to recite it for you, but it describes what happened when Christ died. Well, we know he got speared in the side, and the water and the blood came out, and the women were weeping, etc. But look at what happened, the power of what happened, because repentance was brought to this earth and to his people. The earth shook. There were earthquakes. Rocks were split in half. The veil in the temple was split from top to bottom. A 60-foot high curtain, thicker than a man's hand wide in material, split down the middle. The dead came up out of the graves. Did you know that? Did you know that when Christ died on the cross, the graves opened up because of the earthquakes, and the dead rose up out of the graves and walked into the city? Look it up, Matthew 27, 52. The graves opened up, and the dead came alive. The resurrection happened right There, when he died, powerful. The earth changed. The sky went dark for a number of hours. Repentance literally split the earth open wide and shattered rock. Now, when the veil was split, that was a symbol. That was God God basically. See, the veil in the temple, there was only one person allowed in God's presence. And I'm not going to give you a tabernacle study today. If you would like to study that, please see me after church. We'll set up a Bible study, and I'll take you right through it. But what you need to understand is there was a veil in front of the Ark of the Covenant. One man, one man in the entire nation was allowed to crawl under that thing on his hands and knees and be in the presence of God. What you experience in this worship service today was what one man in all of Israel could experience. You were in the presence of God. You were standing before the Ark of the Covenant and God's presence was moving through this house. Praise the Lord. Why is that? Because you are a high priest in the kingdom. You are a high priest. So when Jesus died on the cross and the veil ripped from top to bottom, 60 feet of a rip, tore open, that was God saying, my spirit's now available to everybody. So if all of that happened at repentance, think about this now for a second. What does that do to the enemy 
Think about, have you ever thought about repentance this way? When you step up to the altar and you know you've had a bad week, you've done some things wrong, the devil's dancing, he's reveling. Whoo, I got him to swear, I got him to lie today. Oh yeah, they're kind of flirting with that coworker. There's something going on there. I'm gonna keep working on that part. And he's dancing and having a party. And you come into church on Sunday morning and you shed off regret. You forget about regret garbage and you say, I'm gonna repent. Today I'm gonna give my heart back to God. I'm gonna cleanse that stuff out of me. And you know what's happening? The devil is getting shattered. The devil's getting knocked on his tail. You're beating him down. His rocks are splitting in half. You understand what I'm saying? When you repent, it's a weapon. You're kicking him right in the head. You're coming back to day one. You understand that? You could be a million miles away from God. God could be Pluto and you could be Earth. And the sin is what divides you. You know that when you sin, you push God away. God doesn't leave you. You separate him. But I'm going to tell you this much. You stand up and truly repent in your heart. And that distance, that millions of miles distance that God is away, you say repentance and God is next to you in a nanosecond. He'll cover that distance in a flash, in a blink of an eye. Because that's the kind of God he is. So we can, we can sin. We can keep pushing him away further and further and further. Pretty soon he's past Pluto and he's on into another galaxy. But in a nanosecond, with true repentance, he's standing right back at your side. You see what I'm saying? It's a powerful, powerful tool against your enemy. Well, see, Brother Cordell, I know all this already. I've heard, I heard that in Sunday school. That's simple stuff. I get it. But here's the deal. Are you living it? Are you living it so that you can have less of those times where God's got to travel all the way back from the other side of the universe to get close to you? Are you living it? Because if you're not, you're putting yourself in danger. You're putting your soul in danger. You've got to live a life of repentance. Does that mean you've got to get up every day, throw the sackcloth on, put the ashes on, crawl around in your bedroom? Please, God, forgive me, please. No, that's not what I'm saying. That's a fictitious picture of what the world has designed. Yes, sometimes those moments in repentance are like that, but not because we're so horribly beaten down. God's just wailing on us with repentance. It's because we let that come in. It's a beautiful thing when we break down when we're fully broken, see, the vessel can't hold new wine. you got to get rid of the crud and the dirt. And so when you come to the altar and you allow God in and you start to break and get that crack, see, the world just continues to put junk on top of your heart. All this crud, people are mean to you, bad things happen, medical problems, bills, all this stuff that we deal with, and it just coats your heart and coats your heart and coats your heart. But you come into the house of God and you get a hold of God and you truly, truly understand repentance and you begin to chisel your way through that until the tears start to come and you start to feel that broken spirit and man God just starts to rejoice because he's saying I'm coming in I've got something for you but you go ahead and do what you're doing and I'm going to turn it around for you I'm going to bring miracles into your life I am the way maker I am the miracle worker you see what I'm saying so you can make that a habit make that a habit every single day of your life walk through repentance are you going to sin and make mistakes of course you are but you don't have to crawl down into the dirt and hate living for God because all I ever do is repent. I just have to constantly, I'm just constantly sinning. No, just get victory over those sins. Get victory over that process. Learn how to live a life of repentance. So how do we do it? How do we live victoriously to the end? First, we've got to understand what draws us away from God. And I said that already. There's things that sneak up on you. So, but I, but you know, I'm. You've heard me say in the past from this pulpit, I like practical tactical. Practical tactical is I can give you concepts all day long. Don't sin. Well, Brother Cordell, how do you do that? 
What, what do you mean, don't sin? Okay, here's an idea. Let me get uh, Kyle, come up here. Sam, stand right here. We're gonna, I'm going to give you, a, I'm gonna give you a, I get to do this once in a great while because everybody else does, so I'm going to do a Joseph Pulley. Okay, let's see. Beth, you, you want to come up? You're good. All right, so Beth, you stand right here. All right, there's a circle around these, two, these three. There's a circle, and it comes right next to Sam, goes right around. That, that is the church, okay? Now, I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about the church body. What I'm telling you, I'm giving you practical tactical. I'm telling you how you're drawn away. I don't believe necessarily that anybody in here is murdering people right now or robbing banks or, or, or stealing from their grandma. Any of that. We slip into things. Life comes into us. So we, we, we are affected by what's out there naturally. The flesh is affected. We're tempted with things. We have issues. We see things we shouldn't see, blah, 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 right? So how does it happen? How does it sneak up on us? So here's the church. Now, you guys kind of get a little closer together behind Beth. You stay right there. Okay, so they're in the center. They're in the middle of the church body, right? They're here in the preaching. They're worshiping. They're involved in church. They're doing things to build this body and to build this church. And they're all right here in the middle, okay? Now, the edge of the circle, let's say it's right out here. Let's see, who can I use? Brianna. Yes, my new sweet daughter. Okay, so now right here to where I am, I'm out of the circle. I'm the world, okay? She's right on the edge. So over time, she got real busy with work, and she got busy with some challenges, and, and Beth, Beth was really mean to her the other day. You know how Beth can be, right? <laughs> <laughs> So, so she, she, one day she was, on, she was right next to Beth and she was involved in ministry and she was doing things in the church and she was coming often and she was faithful in her tithes and she was faithful in her attendance. And then something happened between her and Beth and Beth offended her. Well, next thing you know, she was right here next to Sam. And I, I noticed she missed a couple of services and her big smile kind of went down a little bit. She's not smiling as much anymore. Pretty soon she was right here a few weeks later, she was right here, and now she's right here, okay, right on the edge of the circle, okay? Now, you know the scripture in Matthew where it says the rains came down and the, and the, and the waves came and bashed against the house, and, and it was a house on sand? Okay, way over there, that's the rock. Jesus is right here. He's the rock. Foundation, <clears throat> rock. It's real hard. These guys are standing right on it. Well, at some place, the parking lot ends, and there's like gravel and sand, to the edge of the church until you're in the ocean. Well, what happens during the course of life when, when you've kind of drifted out to the edge of the circle, the waves are coming. You see what I'm saying? A little sin here, a little mistake there. Maybe I watched something I wasn't supposed to watch. Maybe I skipped my tie that week. I didn't come to church like I should. Now I'm feeling angry at Beth. You see what I'm saying? It just starts out lapping up over her shoes. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. And it's not hurt anybody. I'm doing fine. You see what I'm saying? Well, eventually, take one half step this way. Uh-oh. You know, keep the other one in the church. <laughs> now, to us, to, to, to me, Brianna is still in the church. I see her once in a while. I'm okay with that. I, I hope she's still tithing and attending her classes that she has. And, but I don't see that there's a foot in the, in the world. And the waves 
keep coming. Pretty soon, they're up to her knees. Well, now I'm standing knee-deep in the world. A lot of people think I'm still in church because they see me once in a while. But you see what I'm saying? It's not a heinous thing. She didn't go out and rob a bank. She didn't murder anybody. She's not doing terrible things. But it's the little pieces. The little foxes spoil the vine, you see? And the waves start lapping up. Now, meanwhile, these guys are over here. They're tithing every week. They're giving of their, their time and their talents and their treasures. And they're in their classes. They're playing trumpet. And they're quoting scripture right from the front row really good. You know, they're working hard when there's an event at church. They're founded on the rock. They're building the temple. They're doing the things that God called us to do. You want to know how this is directly related to repentance and living a life of repentance? I'm going to show you right now. You can be seated. Okay. Somebody save Brianna before she goes out. All right. I hope you got that illustration. I'm not going to hit you over the head with a sledgehammer on it, but what I'm trying to say is there are degrees of direct involvement of standing on the rock and being a part of what we need to be a part of to live a life of repentance. We have examples. So how do we ensure we don't drift out too far or that when we do, we can figure out how to dust that off and get back to the center of the circle? Because I'm going to look at you, my brothers and sisters, my family, my Christian family, and I'm going to tell you, You ready for this now? They might fire me. You belong in the center of the circle. I'm not taking that back. And I'm telling you from from standing here, God Almighty himself impressed upon me in this message to talk about this. He gave me that image. I'm going to tell you, I'm looking across the room at every soul that I know. I love every one of you. You belong in the center of the circle. And if you keep letting yourself drift out to the edge of the circle, those waves are eventually going to overtake you. So what turned out to be a couple little things I shouldn't do, oh, that's okay, I kind of let a few things go in the church, it's going to get bigger, and it's going to get bigger. Next thing you know, well, we see them about once every six weeks or so. Now we don't see them at all. Every person that gets offended and moves on, and I'm just going to bear, I'm going to bear some things here, I'm not naming names, but every person that gets offended at something that happens in the church and moves on does it under the guise of, well, I'm just going to go to another church, I just don't feel comfortable here, I need to move on to a place where I feel more comfortable every single time they leave the church, period. I have a list of names that is heart-wrenching, heartbreaking, because an offense moved them to the edge of the circle. And then they started doing some other activities. Oh, it's just a fun thing we just do once in a while. We're not drinking with those people. We're just hanging out with them. We're not doing this with them. We're just hanging out. And pretty soon, outside the edge of the circle, and away they go. Too many names on that list. You belong in the center of the circle. I'm not taking it back. You can hate me. You can disagree with me. You belong in the center of the circle. Praise the Lord. Now, I promised you I wasn't going to get too heavy and beat on you, and I'm kind of beating on you a little bit right now, but I'm making an illustration. If we look at the prophet, the minor prophets, every time that Israel had this experience, see, Israel would do the same thing. Israel knew where the center of the circle was, but they'd always drift out to the edge, right? Something always pulled them out. For Pete's sake, Moses went up into the mountain for a little while. He came down a few days later, and what, they're worshiping calves, and they're doing all kinds of heinous, disgusting sins. I mean, they just jumped right off of the, the circle, Right? And we have Israel's example of this, but we still do it. We know what Israel did. They constantly failed and moved away from God. Then they'd get caught into captivity. They'd get beat up, lose everything. They, oh, God, please forgive us. They repented. They didn't repent. They regretted. 
But God would honor his, con- he would honor his contract with Israel, and he would eventually bring them back, send them back to Jerusalem, right? This is the example we have. When Israel turns from God, they fall into apostasy every time. They're captured, they're enslaved, you know the whole story. We, we talk about it all the time. In 586 BC, Jerusalem was destroyed by Babylon. The Babylonians came in, just completely decimated Jerusalem, and, the, and just d- destroyed the temple, Solomon's temple. Okay, this grand and beautiful temple. They were enslaved for 70 years. And then Persia comes in, and Persia attacks Babylon, and Persia takes over Babylon. Remember King Darius? Well, Darius, God moves on Darius's heart, and he says, okay, let the people go back. They need to worship in their own town, in their own temple. Go back and build your temple and worship there. Awesome. God heard their prayers. He listened to their repentance, and he let them go. When they returned to rebuild the house, they did okay. They laid the foundation. Things were working out okay, but pretty soon, life's worries got involved with them. They had a rough coworker. Their neighbor wasn't very nice to them. Somebody offended them on the job site. Next thing you know, it starts to kind of fall to the wayside. They didn't have very much money. All these problems happen. You can read about this in Second Chronicles and Ezra and in and, and, uh, and Haggai. Okay, so now God gave them the instruction to rebuild the temple, but they just kind of let it sit there. So for years, there was just this foundation for the temple sitting there. And there was nothing there. It was just a memorial to incomplete projects and misplaced priorities. Are you hearing me today? They repented. God instructed them to get back to the center of the circle and rebuild it. Folks, I'm not talking about necessarily just this temple. I'm talking about this temple And this temple, you are the temple. You are the body of Christ. And yes, this temple. See, they let it go because they were having problems and challenges. They started spending their money other places. You see what I'm getting at? So it stood there. Their priorities were all messed up. At the end of August, 520 BC, the harvest had gone bad. There was a severe drought. God had had just pulled his blessings off of these people. They were starving. They had no money for clothing. They were just in a mess. So God moves on the prophet Haggai. And he tells the people, God's done this to you because you stopped building. You stopped working on the temple. It's just sitting there in a foundation. It's a shame. The people need a place to sacrifice and worship, right? And so they listen to Haggai. They don't listen to some of the other prophets, and that's what gets them into trouble. But they listen to Haggai, and Haggai tells them what to do, and they begin rebuilding the temple. Okay, that's great. So they're kind of getting the idea. At the time, most of the people were just building their own houses. The governor had a beautiful house, but the temple laid in shambles. So God withheld his, press, his blessings, and the people be, were becoming poor. They were working harder than ever, and they were making nothing. They were constantly feeling like they never got ahead. Am I speaking to anybody today? running around, working like crazy, misplaced priorities, and God pulls his blessings away, and they wonder why they have no money. So God encouraged the leaders. He said, be strong and work, for I am with you. They were discouraged because what they were building looked terrible in comparison to Solomon. Solomon's temple was a great architectural marvel. It was beautiful, and it was grand, and it was colorful, and it stood like this giant 
building in majesty, and it was wonderful. Well, they, th- theirs wasn't looking real good. But God steps in, and he says, don't worry about that. You just need a temple. Don't worry about how grand and glorious it is. Just do what I'm telling you to do, because you need a place to worship, and you need to be close with me in my presence. Okay? Am I preaching to anybody? He didn't care about that much, as much as he cared about what was going on in the body. So later, as it turns out, if you read on, later, all kinds of wonderful resources poured in from other nations, other, other Jews and Israelites, even, even foreign kings, came in to help rebuild the temple, and it actually ended up being more glorious than Solomon's temple. And keep in mind, that's the temple that Jesus Christ himself would eventually step his foot into. This temple, Jesus Christ walks and visits, and he's here. He's here right now. How important is it that we continue to build this temple and this temple in repentance? Okay, and I'm wrapping up. So what prophet, if you look at Haggai chapter 2 and 9, look what he says about building the new temple. He says, the glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, peace, saith the Lord of hosts. God spoke to Haggai and said, tell the people, it will be greater here. Do you understand? This temple is going to be the one that sees hundreds of people saved. This temple is going to be where your visitors come. Your family members who are not serving God are going to come. The greater things are going to happen in this temple. Why is it that when God hears their prayer, understands their repentance, and answers it, he sends them back to the center of the circle and says, rebuild the temple. It's part of repentance. It's part of living a repentant life. I'm not going to hold back. I'm not going to be shy about saying this, folks. The presence of Almighty God is in this place. Every service. Why, in the name of God, would we say, I just don't feel like going tonight. It's just going to be another thing. I don't really want to be there. See, what I'm trying to say to you is that that's part of living a repentant life. God wants you back in the temple so you can build this temple and this temple and this temple for the people that need him. Now, some of you may not like that answer. I'm not going to be sorry for that. That is the answer. That is the model that God gave us. But it's a victory model. You see what I'm saying? If you pull out from the things that you're doing and get back to the center of the circle, the money's, the blessings are going to come. You struggling in your finances right now? You wonder why you can't get by? That's why. Because you're holding back something from God. You're not in full repentance. You live in regret. Some, not everybody. Do you see what I'm saying? Haggai's talking about the first temple of Solomon. It was beautiful, like I said. The glory of the latter house is going to be greater. This is the latter house. And we've got to stay in repentance. This is how we win. This is how we live true repentance. This is how you beat the devil. If you really want to win, not just struggle, beat him from week to week, have a few skirmishes and a few battles. Sometimes you come out okay. Sometimes you get beat down. Sometimes something bad happens. Sometimes life goes the wrong way. But if you want to begin to experience a life of consistent victory on a regular basis, if you really want to understand what it is to live victoriously for Jesus Christ, this is the answer. I'm convinced of it, folks. We can't just live a life of come to the altar and say, God, forgive me for the sin I did today and go back and live the same way we lived before at the edge of the circle or further. 
Praise the Lord. We've got to turn away from old lifestyle things permanently. We just do. But you have to understand what seems like this great thing that you hang on to when you're reaching out over the edge of the circle and you're holding on to it. If you just let go, if you let go, that one little simple thing. Well, Brother Cordell, I really like this aspect of my life. This is something I do. There's no sin in it. I just like to, you let go of that thing. Just let go of it one time and see if God doesn't just bring it back a hundredfold. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying today. The temple is our personal walk is what I'm talking to you about. The temple is our personal walk, and the temple is the church itself. This church needs help. This temple needs help. There's more that we could be doing. I would love it if we weren't burdened by a mortgage, and we could take everything and use it for outreach purposes, and we could go out and get people in here and find ways, new creative ways to have a presence outside these walls. But we need help. God is calling us to a place of repentance and rebuilding our temple and this temple. If you are, and you can stand with me this morning. If I could have our musician come. This is the secret. This is the secret to living true victorious life. This is what repentance really means. God gave us the example right in the word. I could share a hundred more with you. I could have gone through all the scriptures in the word that talked about repent and this and repent and that. Do you know that Jesus said that I didn't come that righteous would, would repent? I came for the sinners. What he was saying there was the righteous were the Pharisees and the Sadducees and these guys that walked around with their heads up high. So they put on the image of being in the circle. They spoke loudly about fasting and they'd walk around and they'd be all pious and all that stuff and they made it look like they were in the center of the circle. They were not. They were way outside the circle. Jesus called them white sepulchers full of dead men's bones. But he said, I didn't come for them for repentance. I came for the sinners. That's you and I. That's me. That's what repentance is for. It's for the people who really understand what this is all about. The Sadducees and the Pharisees, they've got their end. And I don't want to be a part of it. If you're in a personal famine today, emotionally, financially, physically, if you just never seem to get anywhere, you're struggling, you don't understand, do I really want to stay with this life? I'm telling you today, get a hold of what real repentance is, what true repentance is, once and for all. Allow God to bless you. Allow God to replace what it is you think you need to hang on to out there. Give it up one time and see if he doesn't offer you tremendous opportunities. There's really, really awesome things at the center of the circle. But you got to get there. And you got to be willing to let go of some things. I'm not talking about heinous, egregious sins. I'm not talking about terrible things that you're guilty of. I'm just talking about that attachment to this world, to this life. Shut your TV sets off. Leave the softball game alone once in a while. Get out of the fishing boat occasionally. Whatever it is. And see if God doesn't replace it a hundred times over. And, and, and bottom line, let's get back to building the temple and do what's right and learn to live real repentance. Because the Israelites, they built the temple and then it was destroyed again. You know, in Israel right now, there's a wall and that's all that's left. 
the heathens came in, built a temple on top of the place that we call holy. They never got it. They still haven't accepted Jesus Christ as the Savior. Don't fall into that this morning. Come to the altar. I want you to talk to God. I said that at the beginning of service today, today is the opportunity. You could change your life in repentance at this altar. God, make it a part of what I am and who I am and enjoy that. You can join us this morning if you will. Praise the Lord. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.